Well, I live out in Long Island, and um, even though it's not a city and people are not as rude, they're pretty rude, they're pretty in a hurry, as uh, most New Yorkers are. And so these suburb streets, people are like zooming, especially around in the morning time when parents are trying to drop off kids who are late for school and people are trying to get to work. But there's one thing that has the power to stop all traffic along one of the roads by my house. My house actually is off of a road called Convent Road because there's a convent by my house. It's really strange. But uh, on Convent Road, every now and then there will be this traffic jam. And you will have no idea what it is because you're like four or five cars deep. And, you don't, and you're wondering, who stopped up there? It's because of this. And it's usually, actually, it's usually... Geese. I couldn't find a, a picture of geese. Uh, like, but you know, imagine geese. Big, big geese, little goslings, and they just walk right across the road, and um, and like you can see these big SUVs like slamming to a brake, and they just wait, and they're steaming. But it's just amazing to watch this mom just kind of stroll down, and all these little you know ducks or geeseling goslings follow. They don't know much about life. They don't know how dangerous it is, but you know. They're not even worried. I'm just, sometimes I just stop there and look at them and just like, this is amazing how these creatures have this built in them that how do they know where they're going? How do they know that they're protected? They just follow. It's the simplest thing. Um, humans, it would be great if we had that kind of simple, uh, it's a little more complex, but if we had that kind of simple mechanism that if we just knew who to follow, we would get to the right place. We would know where we're going. We would, we would get there safely. But, you know, our culture is many times just we're lost. Personally, we're lost. We don't know where we're going. I find it funny that in the movie Forrest Gump, Forrest is lost himself. You know, he doesn't know what he, where he's supposed to go. He doesn't know what to do, so he just starts running. And he just goes from town to town every day just running, running across the country and back. That's why he just doesn't even shave his beard, so he's just been running. If you've never seen the movie, it's, that's his expression of his being lost. And people who are also just hearing the story about this guy, seeing this guy just running, decides, what are they going to do? They're going to follow. <laughs> they do the same thing that he does. A lot of them grow beards. And, and, and this is the scene where right in the middle of the road, he says, I'm done. And they're like, wait, wait, he's going to say something. And he doesn't. It's, it's hilarious. It's kind of a, 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 a bit of a, a, you know, a play on the fact that a lot of people are lost and they're following people who are lost. But isn't that interesting that that's what you do when you're lost? You look for somebody to follow. When you're in crisis, you look for somebody to follow. Now, uh, I was at a church that was, uh, had a lot of uh, ex-military and present military uh, contexts. And so some of their language got into my own uh, usage. And so um, when you're a soldier on patrol and it's dangerous, you don't know what's coming, guess what? Your squad leader actually will say something like this. All right, everybody, on my six. Six o'clock means behind you. Twelve o'clock is ahead of you, right? Three and nine. On my six. And so when I was uh, taking my girls into Manhattan, and I can't, I, I can't necessarily, you know, I have them on my hands sometimes, but they're a little older, so they're walking behind me. I, I you'd always, you'd use the same code. When, when they have to pay attention, I would say, on my six, and they're right here. Yeah, we, we, we did that, you know, over and over again. But, it, but that's what you want to know. Uh, bullets are flying. You don't know how to get out of there. But when your squad leader says, I know where I'm going, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get us through and complete the mission, and when he says, on my six, you come and you attach yourself right behind your squad leader. That's how we're built. That's how we grow. And in fact, that's what Christ says. That's what God says 
our relationship with him looks like. This one word describes the core of how we come into a relationship with God and grow in a relationship with God. It's through the word follow. Come, follow me. Before we know anything about God, guess what? Sometimes God comes and we just get introduced and we get this call, this beckoning, this invitation. Come, follow me. After years of knowing God and walking with him and learning about him and changing and experiencing him, we still hear him saying, come, follow me. This is the relationship that we get to be with in God with is that all of our protection and our direction comes from a God who says, come, follow me. We are starting up a whole new series. We just finished up a series in um, the, we spent the summer in the Psalms. We covered a bunch of Psalms in the summer. But like we do uh, twice a year, we're actually doing what we call grace groups. It's a small group season that we're doing um, from now to the end of November where our sermons are connected with. Just to give you a review, if you, uh, if you haven't been with us for a little while, um, two seasons ago, we did this thing called Emotional Healthy Spirituality put out by Peter Scazzaro. Great book, great material. It really helped us to look at what's underneath the surface um, and address emotional spirituality as well as contemplative spirituality. And it was, it, was a little, it was a little overwhelming for some, but for many people who had never seen this before, it was such a good experience. If we followed up with another kind of um, a book and content that addressed the stuff of the emotions... Like, what do you do when you've got anger and you've got greed and jealousy and these kinds of things build up in you? We don't realize that these are huge enemies of the heart and there are ways that God would have us to deal with them. And we covered that in this last series. Well, this series, we're going to follow the same author, Andy Stanley, and the material called Follow. It's eight sessions, and it's actually helping us to understand what Jesus means when he says, follow me. What are the benefits What are we brought into? What privilege it is to be called to follow him? What are the commitments and understanding, the fine print? What does it look like to be a follower of Christ? And so this is unpacking a lot of that. And so we're going to be doing this all the way to the end of November. Here's a quick schedule for us. Oh, sorry, before the schedule, let me give you an idea of what our grace groups are like. And I do this because not everybody's been a part of a grace group before. It's seasonal. We do this twice a year, once in the spring, once in the fall. We need that. Because sometimes you can't grow with a one-off sermon, a one-off experience. You need the sustained connection to community. You need the sustained kind of uh, experience and saturation of truth. And I find that to be true. Especially in a distracted age like this, you don't grow just here and there. You need a momentum. This is what it builds. These seasons build momentum. The second thing about grace groups is we, we try to focus on spiritual formation. We focus on who we are, how we're growing in our personhood. And it's actually very healthy in many ways because a lot of churches and a lot of um, groups don't really focus on that. They focus on knowledge only or they focus on practical stuff. They don't really focus on the things that, that, that shape us in Christ. And so the third thing that our, uh, that our grace groups do uh, pay attention to and try to do is we try to synchronize our Sunday sermons with our small group material. And so you'll hear a sermon about it, and then you get a chance to personalize. You get a chance to talk about it, reflect, interact, and, and share. And many times that's the, the momentum that's built in these small groups. Our small groups, uh, we do have groups on Sunday as well as midweek. 
And so it allows for us to have this sustained engagement in truth and in community. So we really encourage you, they're going to start, the groups themselves are going to start October 1st, that Sunday, two weeks from now. Um, but uh, the intro is today. Here is the schedule. So uh, here we go. So the, today is Christ's follower, and that's the, the message I'm going to preach to them today. And today is all really about introduction to why do we pay attention to following? What's the big deal? In fact, uh, this is what it's always been, even in the Old Testament, even in Jesus' time. This is our identity of actually being in relationship with God. And what does it mean to be a follower? We're going to follow up during on this whole series. Next week, we're going to be at a fall retreat, by the way. We're coming back for the Sunday, so we'll be here. But the theme will be uh, the retreat theme from the, no, a guest speaker named Pastor Samuel Choi. But we start our grace group proper, season proper, October 1st. Um, and then we're going to be spending eight sessions, taking a break for Thanksgiving, if you can see uh, the second from the bottom. But you'll see two weeks, the October 8th and November 5th, highlighted here. That's because um, Pastor Richard, our new pastor on staff, who is covering the children's and youth, is going to be coming, and he's going to be preaching to the adults on that day. Uh, and I'm going to go and preach to the youth and children. So we're going to do a tag team, right? Um, and it's going to be really good because you'll get a chance to see him and here, I always, I'm a firm believer that the scriptures uh, should always be heard in 3D, uh, not just through a person's life, but it's also through other people's lives. And so he'll get to hear the same truth, but through kind of God's grace in and through him. And so um, we're looking forward to a chance to have him share on those two Sundays. And so that's our season coming up. All right, let's uh, take, switch gears now. Let's go back into the scripture that was read earlier today because this is, this is actually a significant piece of scripture coming at a significant time. And let me give you a little background as we look at the book of Mark. book of Mark is very short, if you think about it. It's, if you look at the book of Matthew and Luke, they're long. They're much longer. Matthew has 28 chapters, and Luke actually is, even, is, 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 a, is a pretty large text. Mark is only 16 chapters, and in fact... It fits because they used to have when they would write all this stuff out. They, there's a long scroll and a short scroll. Matthew and Luke fit the long scroll. Mark fits the short scroll. So Mark doesn't have much time to tell you the story of Jesus, to tell you all that he's about, and to invite you into a relationship with this Jesus. He doesn't have enough time. So he's kind of in a hurry. Okay? And so he uses this word immediately, about 40 times, just over 40 times, immediately, immediately. Don't um, misunderstand. He's not just rushing through. He's trying to give you the, 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 the real, you know, boiled down pieces of what Christ was here for, what he was saying, the man and the message. And so Mark starts off, and uh, in the midst of all this, you know, John the Baptist is preaching, in the midst of all, Jesus comes on the scene. Right before this, Jesus starts his ministry proper. And he starts off by saying, the kingdom of God is near. And for us, we don't really understand what that means, but it's something so long anticipated. 400 years, God has not spoken, but now he's speaking through John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is saying, get ready. Something else is on the move. God is about to do something huge. The final piece of what they were, people of Israel were planning for and preparing for is now here in Christ, in the King. Kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. you got to respond. And you would imagine that he would go from town to town to town, as he does, preaching and inviting people into the kingdom of God. Um, you would imagine, as he does, that people start responding, because this is God 
in the flesh. Spirit of God is moving through him. You would imagine that that's what he's after. He's after a viral movement. In our day and age, that's what people want. I talk to some pastors these days. They don't want to be in a local church. It's too boring for them. What? You're going to be in a local church for 10, 20 years, knowing the same people? They're like, I'm after a viral movement, you know? So they'll just go do all these crazy things trying to spark a fire. But watch what Jesus does. Right after he starts this, kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. Now is the time. Time for viral movement. He goes and does this. As he's walking along the Sea of, uh, of Galilee, he sees these two fishermen, Simon and Peter, and Andrew. Simon, Peter, and Andrew. And they're doing what they're doing. They're in the middle of their day. They're, they're taking care of their nets. Um, they're throwing their net, nets into the lake as they're fishermen. And Jesus, it's, it's not a side trip. This kind of gives you a, a sense of what he's after, what the kingdom of God is about. He comes and he approaches them and he says, come, follow me. Now, if you're at work in your cubicle, all right, or at school in, in the hallways, and, and, uh, or at home, and somebody knocked on your door, and this guy come and said, come, follow me. You'd be like, get away from me, you creep. You know, I don't want anything to do with you. Uh, but this is the language of something, a relationship that was well understood during their day and age. That someone a, a, a with greatness, someone somebody who, to teach, somebody who already has a following and is looking to have a following, actually, that's what it looks like. That, that they're looking for what they call disciples, adherents, people who would be willing to learn everything that's taught and eventually become someone who's able to teach and become a master themselves, okay? That's what Jesus is talking about. And so he says to Andrew, uh, to, to, to Simon and to Andrew, come, follow me. And this is his pitch. You won't simply just have the influence of just, you know, catching fish and living off the fish. I will give you such influence that you'll be able to catch men like fish. You will be sent out to fish for people to be brought into the kingdom. And something connected with Simon and with Andrew. Immediately, they left their nets, their livelihood, and they followed. They began a relationship with Jesus where he was following him everywhere he goes, following what he's saying, following what he is doing, because Jesus came to them. The next verses describe a second version of this, where he sees, a little further, he goes and sees James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in the boat. They're preparing their nets to go out. But when he, without delay, he, uh, Jesus calls them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is four of the disciples being called, without delay, immediately, right after the start of Jesus' ministry. Gives you a sense that this is how important it is to Jesus. This is not a little side trip, and Mark doesn't have time to give you all the little, you know, side commentary. This is at the core of what he's doing. What does it mean to experience God? What does it mean to be loved by God and, and enter a relationship with God? It's God comes to us and says, come, follow me. We see that echoed again and again and again. This is what Jesus does. He goes from town to town. And he invites people into what we call a discipleship, become a disciple. That's the only expression of relationship with Christ that you can really see um, in the New Testament going forward as well. We don't have this idea of what is a disciple. 
Like, it's kind of weird. That, that sounds kind of cultic, doesn't it? I'm a disciple of John. Like, eh, you're that John? You're a disciple of him? It doesn't make sense to us. Uh, maybe a, a contemporary a description of this is, you guys, anybody watch Star Trek? I know one, sorry, Star, Star Wars. Yes. <laughs> I did that on purpose, you know. <laughs> Star Wars. Uh, we know this. There, there is this strange thing of a Jedi master who can do superhuman things who's such in control, and he's like aware of the force, something that normal people cannot do. And you don't just all the day, one day, grow up and decide, I'm going to be a Jedi master. I'm just going to figure this out. You can only be a Jedi master if a Jedi master comes to you and says, come follow me. I will teach you all that I know. And when I am done, you are not only going to become a Jedi master, you can handle this lightsaber, you can actually move stuff and, and, and uh, make people say things that they don't want to say. You can actually do all of that but you will also become a master and make, you know, another, another Jedi. Uh, uh, through a, you, you can develop a relationship with a Padawan learner who eventually becomes a Jedi master. You get a little idea of what this format is? So if, if uh, Qui-Gon comes to, to you and says, come follow me, you know what you're getting into, right? And that's actually what these disciples are saying. They're seeing Jesus, uh, who he is, and something about him is stirring them to say, I would rather follow him, make my livelihood, make my identity about him than being a fisherman, than staying even in my own family. This is what the Jews had a whole practice of doing. Rabbis would have disciples. But the interesting part is in the Jewish tradition of Jesus' time, it wasn't the the rabbis who would go out and find the disciples. It was the disciples who would Look at all the rabbis, and they would try to kind of like all the schools. You know, you've got Columbia, and you've got, you've got Yale, and you've got Harvard. And like, oh, I want to go to this school, because if I go to that school and graduate from that school, I'll have a degree, I'll have a nice job, and so on and so forth. They would try to figure out which rabbi really spoke to them and which gave them the best prospects for a future. And they would go to that this rabbi and say, can I follow you? And that, that's how their relationship would start. But Jesus does something completely different. He doesn't go to the best students. He doesn't go to the people who look like they have their gear all together. He goes to fishermen and says, come, follow me, learn what I do, be with me, become like me. This idea of being a learner, being a disciple, goes all the way back in the Old Testament. Even though the language is not quite used, when God calls Israel through Abraham, what does he say? Go to a place where I will show you. Basically, come, follow me. Begin to live in the way that I'm going to describe to you. I'm going to lay it out. These are my ways. In the book of Psalms and other places you see people praying. Not only are the people of God called to follow God, but individuals saying, teach me your ways. Because there's this understanding that when you are in relationship with God, you have to learn who he is, how he does things, what he would have us be and become. This idea of a disciple as a, as a learner is not just contemporary, Jesus' contemporary Jews. It's Old Testament. It's Jesus taking that and co-opting it for himself. But it's also New Testament. Interestingly enough, in the book of Acts and elsewhere, you don't see a lot of language of disciple. So some people think, oh, disciple stuff, it's all only Jesus and his time. It has nothing to do with later on. But in fact... We use the language Christian to describe those people who love God and, and believe in him, right? Or we use the language 
if you're, we're not happy with Christians, so we have to say, oh, I'm not just a Christian. I'm born-again Christian. It's a way of saying, I've had this experience where the Spirit has been alive in me, and it's just a way of saying, I'm not a cultural Christian. I'm a, I'm a real Christian. Or people will say, I'm saved. Well, none of that language was used in the, Old Test- in the New Testament. You know what they would call themselves? The people who were the first Christians, you know what they called themselves? They didn't call themselves Christians. That was a word used by non-Christians who looked at people and said, oh, they follow this Christ guy, they're these Christians. It's actually a, it's a, it's a pejorative term. It's a dirty term. You know, you're Chinese. I was always called Chink, even though I'm not even Chinese. My last name is Chang, so they would call me Chink. Because yeah, it sounds like Chinese. It's, it's a bad word. And the Christians said, okay, we'll take it. You know, we'll, we'll suffer in ignoble words because Christ is in it. But that wasn't the term that they used for themselves. Most people don't know this, but in the book of Acts, over and over, chapter 9, chapter uh, uh, 19, 23, 22, 24, uh, it says these were the people who were the, the, of the way, the way. And they would self-describe themselves as followers of the way. Does that change the way you think about, wait a minute, if they didn't call themselves Christians, believers, they call themselves followers of the way. This is what it means to be in relationship with God. Sometimes we forget. Because we think, I'm a believer if I believe something about God. That the word of God is the word of God. That Jesus is both, you know, some, some truth about God. But in fact, the word believer is supposed to mean that you believe someone. And what he tells you, not something about somebody. This language actually doesn't help us. Because once we figure out I'm a believer because I believe that Jesus died for my sins, I'm done. Nothing else happens. And we don't realize God is actually calling us into a following relationship deeper and further. If we say that we've been born again, guess what it means? That's all done in the past. And I don't need to get born again again. And we don't actually develop this relationship. We're drawing closer. We're experiencing him. We're knowing him. Every part of our life is growing and changing. And so what ends up happening is people, even with, it's not just the name, but the traditional ways of seeing and walking with Christ ends up being rule-oriented. You can't do this. You can't do that. My youth group pastor would always say, no drinking, no smoking, no dance party, right? Uh, and that's what it means to be a Christian. No drinking, no dancing, no, sm- uh, no, no smoking, no dance party. Ethics, morality. Some people think that's actually what it looks like to be a Christian. If you look in the, in the, in the dictionary, a synonym for a Christian is a moral person. <laughs> well, is that how it was understood by the people who were following Christ when he called them and said, come and follow me? By the followers of the way? No. Their whole lives were wrapped around Jesus. They were having this life with him, hearing him, responding to him. And it was all about relationship. Some of the same things happen in rules and relationship. Because in relationship, you have rules, right? In my house, I'm in a relationship with my wife, and if I ever cheat, guess what? That's bad. There's rules. No cheating, right? There are rules even in relationship. You don't do certain things to friends, so on and so forth. Parents don't do certain things to children. There's rules. But it's not on some static idea of what's right and wrong. It's not some static thing. It's actually somebody that you're loving and you're relating to. And one of the ways to realize this is rules and regulation are different than relationship because rules have regulations, but relationships 
have all of this for two different reasons, protection and direction. When you're in a relationship with a leader, guess what? Sometimes they're prompting you. They're challenging you. You do certain things and you have to change. But it's not to satisfy some arbitrary rule. It's for protection and it's for direction. And that's actually what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You experience what it's like to be not only protected, but directed. You begin to change from the inside out because you're following him. You're hearing him. There's life involved. It's not just a static thing. So in our church, if you would ask us, what is our mission statement? Not everybody knows, even though mission statements are sometimes the thing that most people don't know. So we echo it again and again. If you ask us, what are we about as a church? And we would say, we're, our mission statement is to move people from lost to leading. From lost to leading. Now, some people would think, man, that's a pretty harsh mission statement because who would ever want to say that I'm lost? But honestly, it's just a term. But honestly, sometimes you need to recognize that it's easy to get lost. I get lost all the time. You know, it's worse now these days with my GPS. It used to be that, you know, um, you have to find some places so you remember. These days, like, as, you know, people are so dependent upon their GPS that you get lost all the time, especially if you're in a new place. It's an act of grace to realize you are lost because then you're going to look for help. You're going to look to get found. If you don't know you are lost, you will never even look to be found. You'll never respond to the one who's seeking you and to be found in relationship. And so part of us realizes there is this this movement from lost to leading. And the steps are this. We want to help people to, to, by God's grace, realize, I don't know who I am. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know how to make sense of this life. I have all these emotions that I don't know how to process. And I don't know anybody who can help me. And God would come and say, come, follow me. Into a relationship where loss becomes found. And you begin to understand that God is for you. He is with you. He is so, so good. There's incredible benefits. There's incredible joy of being in a relationship with God who is that good to you, who seeks you and finds you and invites you into relationship. But there's, just, there's, just, there's further steps in that. And the next step is about being discipled. If you are a follower, you're not just happy saying, ah, I went to a Billy Graham crusade. I gave my decision for Christ. I'm done. I'm going to heaven. I got my ticket. I'm going to store it away in a little glass case. I'm done. It means that's when you really start to learn about God, to let him talk to you, change you, build this relationship. You know, married couples think they know everything about each other, and the first year is really awkward. You know, after 20 years, you're still growing. Isn't that an awesome part? I mean, 20 years coming up next year, by the way, 20-year anniversary. Uh, you're still learning and developing. That's what a Christian life really is. At age 20 of a Christian life, you're still learning and following. You're growing deeper, even to the place where you're able to lead other people into this life with Christ. And that's where we want to go. Every step of that stage is in response to Jesus saying, come, follow me. Every step in growing in Christ is in this pattern of Jesus is the initiator. He's got something good for us, something maybe even challenging but he's going to bring us into it with his resources. That means every step means when we hear him, when we see him, invite us to come follow him. That's where we are supposed to respond. Lost to found, found a disciple, disciple to 
leading. And it's good for us to think about, where am I in that process? It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian or been in church for many, many years. Guess what? We're still called to follow. I think about my own experience of uh, being in church and being in Christ. You know, I, was, I grew up in a church, um, everybody, m- most people know that, where um, yeah, I knew the Bible fairly well. I knew how to act like a Christian, talk like a Christian, but I didn't know God. And I had this very um, s- you know, profound experience at a retreat where um, I came up for an altar call thinking that I'm trying to be an exemplary Christian, um, and God came and he showed me all of my junk, all of my s- deceptive patterns, all the places where I'm such an ugly person that I wouldn't even look at. And it was so bad that I just was like, oh, I don't want anything to do with this. I, I, deserve, I deserve to go to hell. It was so bad. And in the midst of that conviction and a sense of guilt and shame, I saw the cross. And I heard Christ's voice. And he said, this is for you. My, my initial response was I actually lunged after something because I could see the cross. I lunged after it. And that God heard my heart, and something opened up. And it's not, it wasn't just emotions, but something came in. That's the Holy Spirit, and junk came out, and I felt so free. I can't tell you how the next morning, like, I felt like a different person. And uh, I thought, that's, that's it. I'm born again. I'm done. And then next, you know, within two weeks, I was a mess because my life hadn't changed. Work needed to be done. I had to be discipled. But, you know, I realized looking backwards, every step of, my, step of my journey, God was calling me, come follow me. Grow to know me. Grow to know my word. Grow to be a lover of persons. Do it this way. Handle money differently. Okay? Do it the way I do it. And it, it's, been t- it's taking a long time. But every step is come follow me. You know, when I got called into ministry, it was a come follow me moment. And I, I look back and I'm like, all my friends were like, God called me to be a pastor. God called me a missionary. God called me to be a professor. God called me to be And I was lost. I didn't know what I, I was supposed to do. And I, I prayed and prayed and prayed. And, I, and in the midst of that, God actually sh- gave me another vision. And it was uh, me in the boat like Peter. And I've heard, said, shared the story before, so I'll keep it short. And Jesus was out in the water. And basically Jesus was saying, come to where I am. And that was my calling experience. To this day, I'm... I don't know where I'm supposed to be except by every stage of come, follow me. You know, when I was at, uh, on vacation, and I told you about um, uh, Cannon Beach last week, guess what I'm hearing him say? You know, I read a lot of theology books. I have a lot of junk in my head about God. But when God talks to me, it's so simple. He just says two things. Be with me. Come, follow me. There is a place for us. No matter where we are in that journey, and if we learn to actually take these steps when he's prompting us, to realize he's the one inviting us. We don't have to manufacture it. We don't have to become all of a sudden more disciplined. We don't have to all of a sudden become more righteous. In fact, even if you're not a Christian, the first step is to just follow him, look for him, pay attention to him in the scriptures, in history, in, in how he speaks to us, even in the groups. And guess what? That's what he does. He tells, come follow me to sinners. He tells, come follow me to people before they were ever even heard of him. People out fishing on a boat. That's what he's doing. And that's what he's doing for us. I want you to bow your heads. This was just an introduction as we pray. But the introduction is this. We're going to be 
going through the Gospels and looking at what it means, looking at what it means when Jesus says, come follow me. But even today, even today, we've had a chance to think about this and reflect on this. If you've never been in the church, if you wouldn't say that you were a Christian, but you're wondering, who's this Jesus about? I want you to hear this. He's been looking for you. He's been choreographing and arranging things so that you would arrive at a moment where you could hear him say, maybe through another person, maybe even through this scripture, this message. He's inviting you to know him. Come into a relationship with him. Maybe there's something lost in your heart, something broken. And you know you don't have the means to protect or the, the sense of guidance to get where you need to go. Would you hear Jesus inviting you to a relationship where you can follow him for all the days of your life? It starts with a step. It starts with a step. What would it look like for you to respond to him? I'd love to pray with you afterwards if that's where you are. Maybe you've been found and, you, and you're, you, you, you come to church and you know, life is okay. You're struggling with money. You're struggling with family. You're struggling with where am I supposed to go? You were never meant to just figure that out by yourself. There's protection. There's guidance for you. Jesus is telling you, we've got a long way to go. I'm going to take you every step. Come follow me. Maybe you are even a leader and you've been, you know the Bible. This is getting a little old. Did you realize your follow journey has not ended? There are depths. There are breaths. He's going to take you to. It wasn't about rules. It isn't about discipline, self-righteousness. It's not about looking Christian. It's about following. It might be for some of us to follow him onto the mission field. Follow him to share Christ. Follow him to trust him in these things. But it's still following me. Take a few moments wherever you are. Listen for him. Maybe something in the message will have stirred something in you. You know God has been prompting you. Would you say yes? Immediately, would you say yes? Let's get ready to follow him.